Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello and welcome to the first installment of our Through the Noise podcast mini-series where we will talk about our Q2 global market outlook titled Staying Safe. Today, we're going to give a broad overview of the investment landscape for investors. And to do this, I'm joined by Manpreet Gill, our Chief Investment Officer for Africa, the Middle East and Europe, and he joins us from Dubai. Manpreet, pleasure as always to talk to you. Um, I guess the obvious place to start is it's been quite an eventful month and uh, we've had a few scares in the financial sector uh, with some sizable banks either being closed or sold, or actually, I I guess, both. Um, And our recession checklist continues to flash red. So, Risky assets have held up better than you might expect in that environment. So how, how do you can reconcile the two, the two points? Uh, hi, Steve. Uh, yes, you're right. It's a bit of a conundrum. And I think what's interesting is that despite what we've seen in the financial sector, um, all the volatility seems to be more so in government bonds uh, rather than equities where one might expect it. Now, one of it, it, we think it's a good time to remind ourselves that one of the cornerstones of our investment philosophy is to examine the signal from the outside views. In other words, how historical data or quantitative models or other similar sources can help put these sort of questions in perspective. Um, And and today we we think, you know, the viewpoint from our quantitative models, which generally take about a three to six month view, might actually be helpful as an outside view and, and help answer that question. Now, the first sort of model we, we tend to look at is it's an inflation growth framework. Um, this, of course, uses signals from macro and market variables like the lead economic indicator or money supply growth. And this model today is arguing that growth and inflation uh, are both likely to slow significantly from current levels. Uh, based on this assessment, no, unsurprisingly, the model is bearish risky assets and bullish on bonds. Now, second framework uh, that we use is a U.S. equity bond market risk model. Uh, and this relies a little bit more on uh, on major asset class signals rather than just macro data alone. Uh, but interestingly, it's similarly bearish equities and bullish bonds. The only silver lining being that it attaches um, a higher probability, about a two-third probability, uh, that the environment improves uh, you know, by, by mid-year to one that's a little bit more constructive, uh, not only for bonds, but also for equities. The third and last sort of framework we we look at is a stocks versus bond model. Um, And this one relies on a combination of fundamental valuation and technical indicators. Uh, Now, this one is bullish equities, but only very mildly so. Um, And all of that really coming from the valuation signal, uh, because the fundamental and technical signals are are both still bearish. Now, every model has its strengths and weaknesses. uh, But I think where we sit in in combining sort of the signal from these models, as well as our other analysis, uh, is that we're still cautious. Uh, We're still looking at about an 80% chance of a US recession in the next 12 months. uh, And we think the Fed may start cutting rates before the end of Okay, so what does this mean for investors? Is this the main driver of why you like bonds over equities? It is one driver. Uh, so yes, you're right. We, we do prefer bonds over equities at this point in time. And that macro framework we described is a, is a cornerstone of that. But but I think this is a good time to step back and, and, and recall, you know, from the start of the year, we laid out our safe framework. Um, and given the backdrop we described, we actually believe the core approach of that safe framework remains intact. And just to remind ourselves, SAFE stands for securing one's yield uh, through income assets, high-quality bonds, allocating to long-term value uh, through Asian assets, fortifying against further surprises uh, through gold and cash, and expanding beyond the traditional to alternative strategies. 
Now, that part, of course, we, is intact and, and we're, of course, overweight bonds versus equities. But here, in the, you know, looking ahead to the second quarter, where we've sort of shifted is, is a position on bonds has become incrementally more cautious. Uh, so we're now overweight developed market investment grade government bonds and underweight high yield bonds. This, of course, consistent with the U.S. recessionary view, uh, wherein government bonds typically benefit from the fall in yields uh, and corporate yield premiums uh, over government bonds tend to widen on expectations of worsening credit quality. Uh, we've also raised gold to an overweight. Um, this, of course, should benefit not only from the fall in bond yields, but also provide a bit of a hedge given its track record of performing well through economic recessions. Okay, so what does this mean for a diversified multi-asset income strategy? How do you expect that to perform uh, going forward? Well, we're still pretty constructive on multi-asset income strategies. Um, you know, we still have, of course, an attractive level of yield. Uh, but more than just the yield, uh, you know, we think the strategy's relatively muted volatility in recent months actually demonstrates the value of, of keeping income bas- baskets diversified. You know, a good example of that is, you know, we had the volatility in junior financial debt. Uh, but to some degree, this was, of course, offset uh, by, you know, a rebound in government bonds. But having said that, uh, we have made two adjustments within our multi-asset income strategies. Uh, The first is that we have increased allocation towards bonds. So while the 10-year U.S. government bond deals has declined, yields on other income assets are actually still near the top of the historical range. Um, Historically, high-quality fixed income assets have tended to trough around the last Fed rate hike as markets, of course, start to price in a slowdown and eventual rate cuts. Second is that we've paired back allocation to high dividend equities, uh, given again the recession view. Uh, because while dividend equities can provide some buffer against price declines, uh, we believe high dividend yield equities can't be completely immune uh, to a broader decline in equity markets, given income uh, did contribute about a third of total returns when we look back at the past three years. Okay, so the macro context that you've sort of outlined at a headline level looks like it's a a big headwind for equity investors. So how should investors use their equity allocations? Um, Is this sort of more a regional or sector view that you would take? Uh, absolutely. And I think the, the key, of course, is to be a little bit more focused or selective, uh, but using that equity allocation well. And a regional allocation is one route we'd use. Um, and here our views remain relatively unchanged uh, from the start of the year. Um, Asia, Japan equities is where we, we continue to see the most attractive risk reward. And of course, uh, Chinese equities within that. Uh, valuations here, uh, we believe they're still inexpensive, even after the rebound from October 22 lows. Uh, and policymakers very clearly continue to support growth, uh, as we just saw with the most recent cut in bank reserve ratios. Now, here is also worth noting that you know we're still bearish on the US dollar, uh, which should be a tailwind for Asia, Japan equities. A case has been made that dollar should rise uh, if indeed we expect a US recession. Uh, but looking at the historical data, the track record is a little bit mixed. Um, and our view here, of course, is that the dollar's eroding yield advantage uh, will most probably be the dominant driver. Um, if we're right here, of course, the weaker dollar uh, can be quite supportive uh, for EM and Asia, Japan equities. Now, that's on the regional side, but a second route, of course, we would look at is sector views. Um, and here we have made some changes since the start of the year. Now, in the US, given our recession outlook, uh, we now favor relatively defensive sectors, um, that's utilities, healthcare, and consumer staples. And we've also closed our overweight on the energy sector, um, taking profit on a, on, a, on a call that has performed well since we initiated it in February 2022. That, of course, on the back of a greater sort of demand supply surplus in oil markets than we'd initially expected. 
Over in Europe, uh, we prefer utilities, uh, a similarly uh, defensive sort of view based on a, on a similar sort of view on growth. But in China, um, uh, we prefer the communication services sectors, consumer discretionary, technology and industrials. Uh, these, of course, are all cyclical sectors that we expect to benefit from that cyclical upturn in growth. Okay, well, uh, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Thanks, Manpreet, for providing uh, your perspective on the outlook. And thank you, listener, for joining us today. As Manpreet alluded to, we see heightened risks of a recession in developed markets, while China is at a different stage of the economic cycle. And on Monday, I will be talking to Rajat Bhattacharya about this in more detail. In the meantime, if you would like to read our quarterly global market outlook in full, you can find it on our Standard Chartered Wealth Insights pages on either LinkedIn or Facebook, or on our uh, SC Mobile app, or on our websites under the Market Views on the Go section. In the meantime, thanks again. Have a great weekend, and I look forward to speaking to you again on Monday. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights. 